0: Well, I will be glued to the television tonight because it's the Super Bowl, and I love football. Amen? Everybody? And it's the last one for a long time. But my heart is not with the NFL. My heart is really with college football. I went to my first college football game when I was five years old, and I was absolutely hooked. And now every fall Saturday, you will find me between 11 a.m. and 11 p.m. It is appointment television in my house. Probably on any given random Tuesday night in October, I'm going to be watching some game between like Bowling Green and Western Kentucky because it's college football and it's on. My boys, I took all four of them when they were four years old to their first game and they share the same condition or addiction, whichever one you want to call it. But I, here's what I know I would be different if I had been raised differently. If I had grown up in maybe Kentucky or Indiana or North Carolina, it might not have been college football, it might have been basketball. If I had grown up on the coast, perhaps my daddy would have taught me to surf instead of go to ball games. It could have been hunting or fishing or golfing or dirt bikes or board games, or video games, or music, if I had grown up in a musical family. But the whole point is that I understand that I am the way I am, and I love a lot of the things I love because I was taught to love them. I was raised to love them. And thank goodness, I was raised to love Jesus. Here's what I believe is true for most of us. That what's first often becomes foremost. What is first in our lives, the things that we experience first, the things we kind of cling to first at an early age, often become foremost in our lives. Not always, but often. How many of you have changed political parties in your lifetime? How many of you have changed which team you cheer for from the one you grew up cheering for? How many of you have even changed your favorite food than the one you decided was your favorite when you were 14 or 15 years old? It can happen, but it rarely happens. What's first, what we we're exposed to in the early days of our lives often becomes foremost and primary in our lives. And I think the same is often true of our faith. The Barner Research Group is one of the leading religious research uh, organizations in the world and they did a three-year study on understanding next generation ministry of watching kids who had grown up and here's the th- they found three things after these three years of research that are unbelievable about our attitudes about Jesus when we connect at a young age or when we don't this is what they found first a person's moral foundations are generally in place by the time they reach age nine After the first 10 years, they might refine their views, but they don't typically make wholesale changes. Secondly, they found that a person's response to the meaning and personal value of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is usually determined before a person reaches 18. In fact, a majority of Americans make a lasting determination about the personal significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. And if we did a poll of everyone in the room, and those of you watching online, we would probably find that to be true, that those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus probably made that decision before we turned 18 years old. And for those of us that didn't, when we have a baptism of a 35 or 45-year-old, we go crazy, right? Because we understand what a big deal it is. We understand just innately how difficult of a turn that is later in life. The third thing that Barna found is that Barna showed data indicating that in most cases, people's spiritual beliefs are irrevocably formed when they are preteens, that when they are in those early ages from 10 to 12 to 13, that they are making decisions that they most likely will not change later about Jesus, about their faith, about what they believe in and who they believe in. So if people want to know why we are unapologetically for families, it is simply the most important evangelistic work we do. Nothing impacts the reach of the gospel more than discipling children who will grow up to go to hundreds of colleges, work in hundreds of jobs, and be all across the world. Nothing has more potential impact for the eternity than reaching children. When we reach a 5 to 10-year-old with the gospel of Jesus, we reach someone who will help bring his kingdom to their classrooms, to their schools, to their communities, to their dorm rooms one day, and to their careers for the next 80 years. We reach an 80-year disciple when we reach a 5 or 10-year-old. 80 years of impact for the kingdom. So it's this simple. If we are serious about our mission to invite and equip people to follow Jesus, if we are serious about this, then it is imperative that we be serious that we invite and equip young people to follow Jesus. Imperative. And there are plenty right in our backyard Within five miles of where you are sitting and I am standing within five miles of of our facility, for those of you watching at home. Over 53% of our population in a five-mile radius of our church is 40 or younger. And this one will blow your mind, okay? By 2025, nearly 50,000, which is almost 31% of our surrounding population, will have been born in 2002 or later. Whoa, I'm sorry I made you feel old. It makes me feel old. But reaching young people is reaching our community. That's why we're building a building for families. Not just to have bricks and mortar. The building is a tool to share with everyone who enters it that Jesus died for everyone in their family. And we are joining a long biblical legacy of passing our faith down to the next generation God, this is not our idea. God has had this idea for thousands of years. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Psalms, but do you know what Psalms are? They're songs. They're songs. And David, who wrote much of them, was a musician. One of his jobs before he became king was that he was a, magician, a musician for King Saul. He played the harp. But there's a section... Of the Psalms called songs of Asaph who in the world is Asaph well if you go back a little bit to read about David's role as king and his life as king in first chronicles he appoints some of the Levite priests who oversaw the day-to-day operations of the worship of God and the tabernacle this is before the temple so they had a temporary tabernacle where they worshiped But he appointed some of those Levites who were gifted musically to be a part of the music in the tabernacle in worship. And Asaph was one of those Levite priests. He was a musician. He was good at singing, at writing music, probably at playing music. Aren't you grateful for those that are gifted in music in worship? Weren't we blessed this morning? Yeah, they were awesome. They were awesome, man. So Asaph was one of those, and this psalm that we're going to read in Psalm 78, they're the lyrics to one of his songs that he would lead worship in. And in it, he says how critical it is that we remember our role to pass down our faith to the next generation. And it was, it was vital for them. It's hard for us to imagine a world without internet. Right, like people now go to internet to ask go to the Google to ask all kind of questions. What's the meaning of life? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Is there a God? That's those are some of the top searches in Google. There was a time you couldn't go to Google to ask questions that young people couldn't go to Google to ask questions. Where did they go? Books, yes, the library. Remember these things called books. Remember, there was an entire industry of people walking door to door selling you these volumes of books, these encyclopedias, which would be out of date in like a year because we keep learning, right? And science and everything keeps changing as we had books. And if you're like me, that's what you grew up. You grew up studying in books. Asaph is writing this song for the people of Israel in a world not only without internet, but without books. There, there were maybe some scrolls as part of the tabernacle, but only the, the aristocrats were even literate, could even read. Most common people couldn't read. How do you pass down a faith when there isn't even a Bible? There are some scrolls that only a few priests read when you come. Well, there's only one way. At night around the campfire, you gather all the kids. And the elders of the tribe and the village, they tell stories that their grandparents had told them. That their grandparents had told them about how God had delivered Israel out of Egyptian slavery. About how God had created the heavens and the earth. About how God had chosen a people through Abraham to not only bless their family, but that they would be a blessing for every family. Asaph says, lest us not forget the role, the importance of us passing down our faith to the next generation. This is what he says in Psalm 78.1. And if you uh, have your Bibles, that's where you want to open it to your app. Or if you're sitting there at home and you want to grab your Bible real quick. If you're in the room and you don't have a hard copy, please take one at the bookshelf. So we want that to be our gift to you. My people, hear my teaching. This is song lyrics. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things that we have heard and known, not because we looked them up on Google, not because we read them in an encyclopedia or a scroll. We heard them. We know them. Things our ancestors have told us. Asaph says what was true of them is actually true of us because this is our story as well. Every single one of us know about God because somebody told somebody who told us. Every single one of us. Somebody who told somebody who told somebody who told somebody who wrote it down in the scriptures and they told somebody and they told somebody and they told somebody somebody. and they finally told us. That's all of our story. You, it, it, you may have been raised in a Christian home and that somebody was your parents. And what a blessing. What a blessing to have parents who are the ones who have told you. It might have been in fr- a friend who invited you to youth group. Maybe you got invited to one of those Super Bowl parties. And you're like, if this is youth group, this is awesome. Right? And then you learned about Jesus. Maybe it was a youth pastor or a small group leader. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was just a neighbor who was the first one to tell you about Jesus. But somebody told you and told me who had been told by somebody else, all of us are products of someone passing down a legacy of faith to the next generation. And the psalmist says, because that is true of us, that we all have a responsibility to do something with the faith that has been passed down to us. Listen to what he says. We will not hide them from their descendants. And this is so cool, this phrasing right here, I want to come back to in a second. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Asaph says that we link those who have gone before us when we tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. When we lay down our lives for little ones who don't know Jesus, we tie them to the people who told us about Jesus. And isn't it so crazy? When we tell the next generation, when we say, I'm, we're not going to hide it, we're going to do our part, all of a sudden, our descendants become what? Their descendants. Their descendants when we play our part in passing down our faith to the next generation, we connect them to those who told us about Jesus. And I've got a litany of names of people who poured into my life, and I'll bet you do too. You don't know Kenneth Ladd. You'd have no reason to. But he was the only male volunteer in Children's Church At Calvary Baptist Church in Williamston South Carolina where I grew up and I cannot think of red kool-aid and those little butter cookies with the hole in the middle that you put on your pinky as you're eating it come on I can't think of those without seeing mr. Ladd standing in the doorway of that little room where we where we would have our snack And he was so patient and he was so gentle with a room full of rambunctious boys that wanted to do anything but sit still and listen to a Bible story. But he told us about Jesus, and he showed up every single Sunday. And Mr. Ladd is long gone now, but the coolest thing about what Asaph says is that every person that I tell about Jesus, Kenneth Ladd becomes a part of their story. Kenneth Ladd is a part of the story of my children's faith. He's a part of the story with any person that I get to share the love of Christ with. And I'm so thankful that my parents raised me in church and taught me about Jesus. But I'm so grateful, too, for men and women like Kenneth Ladd who poured their life into me that I get to pour into them. We connect the generations when we do our part to share our faith and tell them the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Some of us have kids and some of us don't, just like Charlie said. But this campaign, this vision is an opportunity for every single one of us to be a part of telling the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his power and the wonders he has done. We get to be a part of it. And everyone who has impacted our lives gets to be a part of it when we choose to take our spot. That's why, that's why we say that in this campaign, this part of it is that we are for families. Because one more changed home can shape a generation. One more changed home can shape a generation. And we're going to see at the end of this psalm, we're going to see just how much change can happen because of one changed home. Imagine what can happen to a family tree through one changed life. This campaign has some elements Of construction and those constructions have cost but it's not about buildings or money it's about people it's about making room for young people for babies and toddlers and children and tweens and students and college students and our role in declaring the Almighty God's incredible deeds with the children the young people that God has placed under our care so I want to tell you three ways in our vision that we are going to be for families the first part is that we believe if we are gonna do our role in sharing the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, then we have got to welcome families. Simply, our next generation spaces are not up to par. And our children's ministry spaces are not are simply inadequate to reach more children. They need to be excellent because the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord are too important. The gospel is too critical for our buildings to be a barrier to reach more children. It's too critical. So let me tell you some ways that we're going to welcome families better through this campaign. We are going to put as many parking spots as we can up here on the main level. We think we can get around 40 more parking spots for families to be closer, for everyone to be closer to the facility. And including in that, there will be a brand new playground right next to the new children's wing. We'll have a new dedicated family entrance for children to walk into to feel welcome, for families to know that this place was specifically designed for them. When they go there, can we see that picture, please? When we go there, they will check in. They will have an incredible view over the... Incredible mountain range in Birmingham. On that level, there will be a dedicated main level nursery so no mama will ever have to put her stroller on an elevator ever again to take her little baby down. It will be the most secure nursery environment we've ever had. We will have a family bathroom, family bathroom, which is a huge need for single parents, for any parent trying to take a little one to the bathroom. We will have a nursing room for moms to be able to watch service And nurse their children downstairs will be the new preschool age level for those little ones not quite ready for elementary age with their own large group room their own small group rooms the current children's space will get refurbished refreshed redesigned to host all the rest of elementary the student center will be completely renovated with a 180-seat auditorium so they can have a place where they can worship God, where they can connect with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they will know the praiseworthy deeds of God. But I want to tell you something about youth ministry. This is important stuff, but one of the most important things that happens in student ministry is small groups where they can engage Scripture, where they can wrestle through the things that you wrestle with when you're 15. Do you remember wrestling with things, with their faith? The Student Center will have 10 small group rooms for the students to wrestle with all the things teenagers wrestle with as they're trying to figure out their fate. And the great thing about this is, these will be rooms that adults can use during the week for small groups. A sorely needed uh, update to campus. The gym area and activity area will be refinished and refreshed, ready for play. The cafe will get enlarged so that they can have more hangout space, more gathering space, and there will be AV upgrades in children and students. But our purpose is not to create pretty buildings, but to create environments where lives are changed inside those buildings. That's the purpose. The local church is the vehicle that Jesus created to share his good news, and I think we should do it well. We all know that church is people and not a building. We all know that. But buildings are part of how we do ministry. Buildings are part of how we gather people, and I think we should create incredible spaces for people to connect to God. Now, I want to be honest with you. They have a big price tag, $9.5 billion for construction. We're trying to raise million over the next three years for construction and ministry. And can I just be gut level honest? We might as well since we're in church. I've never raised that much money before in my life. And let me just tell you, there's no preacher that wants to stand up for three or four weeks and talk about millions of dollars. We'd rather talk about anything else. But I keep asking myself this question. What are we willing to do to reach the next generation? Are we willing to to pray about sacrificing like never before? Am I willing to do whatever I can to create an opportunity and an environment where families feel welcome so that we can declare the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord? But welcoming families isn't enough because we know that there are families in the Birmingham area that are so far out in the outskirts, they're never going to come inside the walls of this building. We know that it is not just about trying to get people to come here or create spaces that people will come to. So part of our vision, too, to be for families is that we want to reach families. We want to reach out to families. And we don't have a timetable on this, and we don't quite have a plan, but we are planning praying, strategizing, dreaming, visioning, asking the Lord, seeking the Lord for opportunities in the next few years to begin creating some family environments out into some communities that we believe God might be calling us to have a campus in. Because here's what we know. Our heart is not to just be a church that says we want families to come here. Our heart is to be a church to say we'll go there. We'll go where they are. Let's go serve some people. Let's go reach some communities that we are not currently reaching because the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his wonders and the power of God are just worth it to share with the next generation. But the last thing is that if we're going to be four families, we, we got to serve families. By this time next year, this is why this is a ministry thing and not just a building thing. By this time next year, we hope to have a full-time middle school director on staff with a vision to begin splitting high school and middle school and our student ministry into separate ministries because we believe that's the best way that we can disciple students. We're committed to partnering with parents from birth through graduation, and we are all praying about how we might sacrifice financially, just like Charlie, and what an incredible testimony. But here's what I want to tell you. If we have beautiful buildings and a rock star staff, but we do not have an army of volunteers committed to serving young people to share the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, our efforts will fall flat. If we're going to be four families, we can't just be for them with a checkbook. We have to say I'm in to serve families. And I believe that as we grow and want to reach more kids, that God is calling some of you to serve, to lead a small group, to change some diapers. Come on, change some diapers for Jesus right, to check a bunch of kids in, to be there to welcome a new family, to serve teenager snacks, whatever it is, to run AV for students or kids, I believe that God is calling us to serve. We need, we need an army of volunteers who say, I am here to help declare the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord to the next generation. And then this is so cool. If we will do that, the psalmist says that our impact won't just be about one generation, We have the potential to impact generations. Listen to the next verse. He, that means God, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. And this next verse gives me chills. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. One changed family can shape a generation. And the Four Campaign is about all of us saying, I want to step into my part. We are not all going to have kids that are part of these, these new facilities and these expanded ministries. I'll have kids in student ministry, but I will not have kids that are ever a part of this new children's wing. And let me just, Emily and I prayed about that. We will not have kids (laughs) ever that are part of this children's ministry. So it's not for me. But it's not about what's in it for me. It's about who am I in it for. It's about asking myself, what am I willing to do to reach the next generation? It's about what am I willing to do to impact their eternity, and their grandchildren's eternity. Charlie said it so great, right, that he walked into this building and he, it was clear to him somebody had laid a foundation long before he got here. 20 plus years ago, people gave sacrificially to make this ministry happen, to build a building that you and I are sitting in. And as a parent, I'm so grateful. Several months ago, it was uh, late one night. I was really just walking down the hallway getting ready to go to bed. And we sort of have a deal in our house where our boys bring their, charge their phones in our room at night. That's not in the Bible. That's just good parenting advice. Just, it's free. That was free today. Um, and uh, so they had already brought their phones in. And it's probably 10 o'clock at night. I was turning the lights off and headed to the bedroom, and my youngest son, Brooks, my seventh grader, his light was still on. I thought, what's he doing up? I mean, he's not playing on his phone, you know, what's he doing? And uh, I thought maybe he's drawing. He's a great artist. And I opened the door, and he's sitting down at his desk, working on a devotion that Savannah Barnett on our student ministry team had written to go along with a series that our student ministry was doing. And I just thought to myself, I'm so grateful. He lives in a pastor's home. He hears it all the time. The, The child has been literally born and raised in church. But I need all the help I can get. And I am so grateful that I have somebody else and other voices pouring into my seventh grader the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. And don't you want, don't you want every seventh grader in Birmingham? to be doing a devotion at their desk because somebody else is pouring truth into them, pouring hope into them, pouring life into them, pouring God's Word into them. Don't you want that 31% that was born after 2002 to have partners in ministry pouring truth into their lives? If you're a parent today, uh, in Mountaintop Kids, you're going to pick up your kid, they're going to have a little card that uh, they're they're drawing a picture of your family as we speak, and I I do not know what that's going to look like. I just want you to know, no, I'm not responsible for what the picture looks like. And when you pick them, I want you to you saw it maybe when you came in. I want you to take it, and I want you to pin it on that O. That's a part of our four display. And. I want you to remember for the next three years when that display is up and you walk in and you see your kid's picture. I want you to remember something, that you are walking into a family of faith. You are walking into a community that cares about investing in your kid. You are walking into a place where you have partners to share the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord with your little one. And if you don't have a kid... Every Sunday when you walk in and you see that O full of little pictures, little colorful pictures of stick figures, I want you to look at that O and I want you to remember that's not somebody else's kids up there. Those are our kids. We all have a stake. We all have a stake in sharing the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord with the next generation. And if we will, the psalmist says, He closes with this last lyric in his song. If we just do that, if we just do our part to pass it down, then, then they would put their trust in God. Then things would change for them, and they would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. If someone will tell them, if someone will stand in the gap for the next generation and say, I want to be a part of sharing the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord with you, then they will not forget his deeds. They will put their trust in God. They will not forget that Jesus has died for their sins when there's a little devil on their shoulder telling them they're not good enough. They will not forget their commands when all of a sudden they're on a college campus and they're trying to figure out what is true because someone poured into them truth and life, and hope. I want to tell you something about these buildings we're going to build. They're going to cost a lot of money, and i got some bad news about them. They're going to one day be rubble. And I want to tell you about this ministry that we love, that we're all a part of. It's going to last for a super long time, but one day it's going to close. But the souls of every little one who puts their trust in God, who places their faith in Jesus, who repents of their sin and rises from the waters of baptism, will live forever. And there is a whole bunch in the world that everybody wants to complain about the next generation and everybody has opinions about the next generation and what's going on with this world. And I just wanna say, how about we not just invest in buildings and invest in ministry, but let's invest in some little souls that will last forever. What are we willing to do? what are we willing to do to reach the next generation so that they would tell their children and their children would tell their grandchildren and their grandchildren would tell the children even yet to be born would you pray with me Heavenly Father thank you thank you for my mom and daddy taking me to church Lord thank you for Kenneth Ladd and men and women like him who tried to share Jesus in a room full of loud boys and girls thank you for youth pastors pastors Sunday school teachers campus pastors friends and mentors who invested their life in me. Lord, we want to be on the team to share the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord with the next generation and the children who haven't even been born yet. In Jesus' name, amen.